When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. This is Tom Reed, joined as always by Dave Molinari. And a little bit later, we will have, uh, we will be joined by uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports Hockey contributor, Danny Shirey, who I love to say is also lives in Columbus. So we have the kind of the Pittsburgh West uh, Bureau out here in Columbus. Danny's doing a nice job for us. He'll be along to join us. But of course, the, we we've got to lead off with the the trip to, to the trip to Florida, which a lot of people I think Dave had some trepidation. Uh, the Penguins going down there without some key players, obviously Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin. Uh, in the first game, there was no Jake Gensel, and all they do is pop in six goals uh, to win the first game against the Lightning, uh, the, the two-time defending champion Lightning. Uh, now, granted, they just kept pouring them in into an empty net late in the game and then uh, bounced back and, and then ended up losing uh, the second game down there to Florida, who unfortunately was not raising any banners. Uh, they fall in overtime five to four in that game. But still, Dave, three points out of a possible four, given the injuries, they lose Brian Rust in, during the middle of the second game. I know you never want to blow a two-goal lead in the third period as they did against the Panthers, but I'd say, uh, I would say, all in all, that's a pretty good uh, takeaway uh, from those first two games. Yeah, I, I mean, I never would have guessed that uh, going into the opener, they they would return home uh, somewhat disappointed to only have three points. Uh, you know, it's understandable that they would feel that way given that they had a two-goal lead. You know, with time running down in the third period in Florida on Thursday night, but all things considered, you know, under the circumstances, uh, three points on the road against two pretty good clubs is uh, is not a bad haul at all. Uh, no, it's not. And 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 I thought, um, you know, the only the only down part is we we mentioned, and we, we'll we'll probably get an update is with, with the Penguins, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, the Penguins' home opener is Saturday, correct, Dave? Yes, against, it is. They play Chicago. The, against the Marc-Andre Fleury and the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's where we'll probably get our first uh, first uh, word back on the severity of Brian Rust's injury. As we mentioned, he, he left he left in the game after t- taking a pretty hard hit. Um, 
uh, Dave, I, I would think that's really the, 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 the biggest downer here. I mean, again, you're going to blow points during the course of the season. It just happens. Uh, but uh, that's probably, to me, would be the number one concern. Yeah, gee, it'll be interesting to see how the Penguins can deal with a uh, an injury to a key player. I don't know that that's <laughs> ever happened to them. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible the way, you know, the body count is is already underway with this team. Uh, you know, people who saw Rust after the game uh, seem to feel that there was no apparent sign of a significant injury. Uh, obviously, we don't know anything at, at the time uh, we're recording this. Uh, but you have to think there was uh, something to it because he's not the kind of guy who is going to just decide to sit out the third period of a game because he took a little bump. Um, you know, that, that tells me that he was at least in eno- enough discomfort that he felt that he couldn't contribute to his team. So, you know, I don't want to uh, present an overly rosy scenario, but, you know, as I say, the, the people who saw him uh, before the Penguins departed the arena on Thursday night seemed reasonably upbeat about uh, about a prognosis for him. Dave, going back to the first game against Tampa, I don't know if they could have played better. I mean, the six to two again. The score gets a little, it, it's a little flattering because of of John Cooper just saying, "Okay, you're not going to play. You guys aren't going to play D, uh, out here anyway. We'll just play without a goalie." Uh, they, they, the Penguins pumped in a, a, a couple of goals, and of course, they scored a, a couple of goals as well uh, to get it to, to the final six to two. But that's as good a game with that lineup as you could possibly play. I mean, there they just there were every seemed like every player contributed. Yes, and it, I mean it's the way they have to play when they have the kind of watered down lineup uh, that they they've been forced to rely on in these early days of the, of the season. I mean, this isn't the Penguins from a few years back where you know or when they could uh count on scoring six or seven or eight goals if they needed to to win a game. This is a team that's going to have to, you know, scratch out victories on on the the basis of you know, good goaltending and sound team defense and winning the special teams battle. Uh, you know, uh, the victories aren't necessarily going to be pretty, uh, but, you know, they all count the same. And as far as those empty net goals they scored, you don't get those unless, uh, you know, you put yourself in a position uh, to have the other team be pulling its goaltender. So, you know, and, and those count just as much as the ones where you put the puck past the goaltender. So I'm, I'm certainly not going to hold those, uh, you know, against the Penguins that they, they scored two or three. Uh, into an empty net. No, hardly. Uh, I think one of the most impressive parts about it, you mentioned that the team defense, they kept shots to the outside. Uh, against a team like that, you against a team like uh, Tampa Bay uh, that is so explosive, puck management so important. Dave, I don't recall Tampa Bay having, if they had one or two odd man breaks, that would have met maybe high. I thought the Penguins really did a nice job of protecting the puck in dangerous areas made sure that they weren't caught uh, caught out back and, and and giving up odd man breaks. I thought that was one of the most impressive parts of the game. 
Yeah, they, they really did, although I, I think it on some levels was an indictment of the Lightning as well, just because they have so much talent that when they're on their game, they're probably going to generate some odd man opportunities, no matter how structurally sound you are defensively. Um, I think it, it was pretty clear that that was not uh, that game was was not the best that, that Tampa Bay has to offer. And you lead us perfectly. The, the, the chemistry here lead us perfectly into, into the question I was about to ask. Obviously, when you look at the schedule, like, oh, my God, you got to open in Tampa Bay uh, against the defending champs, two time defending champs. But Dave, you, uh, in, in your, in your uh, 10 thoughts uh, this, this weekend, uh, fans will go out and, and read Dave's story. Just some, some of his thoughts on the uh, first week of the season. You brought up a great point about sometimes it's not bad to be on the road against the defending champ when they're raising a banner. Why is that? Well, three of the past four, teams that raised a Stanley Cup banner uh, and did it in front of a crowd uh, lost that game, uh, the Lightning uh, being the most recent of those. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Lightning a year ago during the pandemic did not have a, uh, a full building when, when they kind of raised their banner. They, they kind of unfurled it for their home opener, but didn't really raise it all the way and, until they were able to have some fans in the building. But if you go all the way back to the Penguins after their championship in, in 2017, uh, the only cup champion to win its home opener was, was Washington, which did it in, in 2018 by, by defeating uh, Boston. Uh, you know, that's a, it's obviously when, when you raise a banner in, in front of your fans, it's, you know, it's an emotional night. It's kind of the, the closing of a, of a chapter, uh, a uh, pretty glorious chapter in your franchise's history. And, you know, I, I think that kind of takes away from your, your focus on, on the task at hand. And the Penguins did a, a very good job of exploiting that, I thought. Yeah, very good, good stuff. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the players that uh, have impressed us in the in the first couple of games this season and kind of take a look at this. I'll just go right out and say it. Ridiculous seven home game, home, uh, seven game homestand to start the season. When we come back on the 66 to 87. Uh, we're just getting rolling here. Please stick around. We're going to have our uh, uh, one of our hockey contributors, Danny Shirey, uh, will be joining us in the next segment. I want to correct something real quick. That's an eight-game homestand uh, that, that has been, that will be starting on Saturday. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but I wanted Dave wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Jeff Carter, uh, who uh, on Thursday night uh, scored his 400th career goal. Uh, it was, it was a deflection. It was kind of an own goal type of thing. Uh, the Panther 
put it in, but nonetheless, a 400th goal, uh, incredible achievement. And to me, it just this first two games continues to show what a valuable acquisition he was late last season. He's being asked to kind of run the uh, center of the first line. And again, with, as we said, three points uh, for the team. Three points for Jeff Carter, a goal and two assists in the first two games. Yeah, I don't think the Penguins would even want to contemplate where they would be right now without Jeff Carter. Um, I was quite skeptical of, of what he uh, would be able to contribute at you know age 36 when they acquired him at, at the trade deadline. Um, he has far exceeded all expectations that I had for him. Um, frankly, at, at this point, and it's still very early, we don't know what kind of toll, a, you know, an 82 sure. game season will take on him, but you know, if he still wants to play, I don't see any reason why he couldn't get a, another contract, whether it's from the Penguins or another team, you know, after this season, um, he, he's been impressive in, in just about every way imaginable. Yeah. And he's, you know, there were some people in the summer that like, why wouldn't you expose him? And again, to expose him in the uh, expansion draft. And again, Ron Francis probably isn't taking a 36 or 37 year old player off your hands. I wasn't taking any chances. There was no way I was exposing Jeff Carter. I just think he is, he has, he's too valuable. And at the time we didn't know that, 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 that about these injuries to the top two centers, but, Man, uh, th- th- this would be a rough spot to be in right now with without him. And Dave, I thought it was kind of impressive. They 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 flashed the graphic of the top what five or six four four hundred goal scorers currently playing. Three of them are Penguins: uh, Jeff Carter and uh, who are those other two guys? Uh, Lemieux, <laughs> uh, uh, it's Crosby and Malkin. Uh, it just goes to show you uh, what uh, Penguin fans. Just another way of showing you. What a great run this this franchise has had uh, in that era. Um, so you ahead. mean one of them is playing, Jeff one, Carter? One, is one of them is playing, but currently, <laughs> well, I guess yeah. Currently, we expect yeah. both to eventually be back. But uh, again, Carter has just been to me so good, uh, and it really started things out the other night. You think about it; that was a tight game. There was there wasn't any scoring in the in the first period of the game. Um, uh, in, in the in the first game in Tampa, the Penguins had pushed the advantage, but it was Carter who who really got things started, uh, stealing the puck behind the net on a on a on a play where the where Basilewski was trying to move the puck along the rim and along the wall, and passes it out to a guy that I want to talk a little bit about now, Danton Heinen. Uh, Dave, we, every year we go through. The, the, you always have these kind of couple of early surprises, guys. You're like, wow, he's off to a good start. Now I'm going to caution fans before we get too heavily into this that we at this time last year we would have probably been talking about Mark Jankowski because he had a very good start. But Dave Danton Hyman and he's back Dominic Simone uh, I think have played reasonably well. Uh, Heinen with two goals, one in each game. Uh, Simone has been solid. Uh, he's got a goal I believe in the first game. Uh, set up a goal last night. Uh, your thoughts on those two players and their contributions early on? Yeah, be, uh, before we get into those, I'd just like to uh, reinforce or reiterate for anyone who cares, I was one of those who would have exposed Jeff Carter oh, okay. in oh. the expansion draft. 
Um, I don't think that there was much chance that Seattle would have taken a, a player his age, um, you know, a, unless uh, they were interested primarily in his intangibles. Um, and, and I thought that uh, Brandon Tanov brought an element to the to the game that that the Penguins really needed. That that they would really miss his energy. Um, at the same time, I wonder. I mean, they obviously were aware that there were issues with Malkin and Crosby. And, you know, even if uh, that hadn't become public knowledge yet. Yeah. And you have to wonder if that was something that was factored into their decision. That that they did not want to get down yet another center. You know, when they knew, when they, they presumably knew that they'd be starting the season without Malkin and had to think there was, you know, at least an outside possibility that that Crosby would either not be available at the start of the season or that he would be at less than full strength. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we don't know that, but I don't think that's an unreasonable perspective to have on it. Yeah. As uh, far as, as far as Heinen and Simone, you know, I, I don't think we uh, should pencil in uh, Heinen to stay on the goal per game pace uh, <laughs> over 82 games at, you know, might be a bit much to expect, but you know he he has shown that you know some some goal scoring ability, particularly when he was with the Bruins. Uh, Dominic Simone is what he was. You know, the first go round in Pittsburgh, it it infuriates a uh, considerable segment of the fan base that even when he is has been used in a prominent position like on Sidney Crosby's wing that he's not a reliable goal scorer, but he is a sound two-way player. He does a lot of things well. Uh, you know, unfortunately for him, uh, in terms of his money-making and uh, for his team, uh, goal scoring isn't on that list, but that doesn't mean that he can't contribute, and, and he certainly, uh, you know, was a factor in, in the, the three points that they took out of Florida. Yeah, I, I back to back to Heinen for a second. I, I loved his the second goal he scored. The go, the goal uh, against Bobrovsky over the shoulder, just under the crossbar. Pretty nice shot. So for those two guys, a good start. And as we said, Dave, they're going to need everybody right now. With with they're going to need contributions from just about everybody to kind of get through this time. We I think we kind of we expect Sidney Crosby at some point during this homestand, again, leading into our next topic. How couldn't we? Uh, the Penguins are about to start, well, depending, again, when you're listening to us, on Saturday, uh, they opened an eight-game homestand. Eight games, Dave. I, 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 when, I just we can't imagine what management and ownership thought when they saw that, and also the season ticket holders that thought, We've got to, wait a minute. We've got to go eight straight times, and they're they're like day, you know, one day game, one day off, one day game, one day off. That's way too many, in my opinion, Dave. Your thoughts on this? Absolutely, I believe it's a franchise record uh, for the length of a homestand, and I strongly suspect that one of the uh, the victims 
of this homestand will be their sellout streak. Yeah. Uh, which I stands at, I, I want to say 632 games, I believe. Uh, that obviously it was, I mean, that includes some sellouts last season when the capacity of the building was extremely limited and uh, doesn't take into account the home games when uh, they weren't allowed to have fans. But regardless, uh, you know, every every available seat in the in the place has been sold for the past 13 seasons or so, which is a pretty remarkable run. But I, I think when you consider that <laughs> there will be so many home games shoehorned in, into the next few weeks, uh, that some of the Penguins most prominent uh, players and big gate attractions uh, will be missing. You know, there, it just seems like, you know, there there's so much conspiring uh, to to dissuade people from, from attending games that I, I think that sellout streak could be in real jeopardy. Yeah, and, and beyond that, you just – coaches hate having long, really long homestands because you don't want guys <clears> – <throat> getting just like you don't want them getting into too much of a routine as far as being home all the time you know i think four or five is a nice number once you get past that you're starting to worry about overstaying a homestand i think in hockey and and do we have any sense of why this happened it's not like they're it's not like they have a they were building a new building or and you know had to play a bunch of games on the road like seattle and and the islanders uh is there any sense of why this happened? No, uh, I, I never got a, a good explanation. And my understanding is that the team officials weren't uh, particularly thrilled with it for the reasons you've laid out. Players also, I mean, for better or for worse, they like to get on the road. Sure. Um, I, I don't think they would uh, necessarily appreciate an eight-game road trip either. But, you know, that the, – it's, it's just part of the culture that, you, you know, you're, you're home for a while and then on the road for a while. And especially teams on the East Coast uh, tend to not really have protracted homestands or, or road trips. So I can't believe that, that this will work to the Penguins' benefit in any way. Uh, no, and they were a very good uh, – they were a very good home team in last year. And of course that's, that's last year, but we'll see how this works out. It, it, but it, it, it does bear watching it over the course of this year as the, obviously they're going to, after this is over, they're going to have to make up those uh, make up with a lot of road games, not necessarily eight at a time, uh, but it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. All right. When we come back, we're going to we'll be joined by Danny Shirey, uh, our new contributor at DK Pittsburgh sports. Please stay with us. Podcast, and we are now joined by our newest addition to DK Sports, our hockey writer, uh, writing a weekly segment for us. Drive to the net, very analytically driven, and I know there's a lot of a lot of hockey readers out there that that are, are thirsting for more analytical stuff. And uh, 
Danny Shirey is definitely delivering in his first couple of posts. Uh, Danny, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really glad to, to join you guys and uh, talk some hockey with you. Well, I'm just glad that, that, that we the DK Sports has a Columbus Bureau now because you and I both live there. So we are basically uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports West. Uh, are you from Are you from the, the, the Columbus area? And, and how did you how did you develop an interest in Pittsburgh sports living in Columbus? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Columbus and, and obviously still live here now, but my father was born in Squirrel Hill back in the 60s, and, and you know, he lived there for 25, 30 years of his life. So, you know, when we're grow when I was growing up and it was always watching the Steelers every Sunday and, and watching the Penguins throughout the winter and even watching those terrible buckos throughout the summer. So that that's just been instilled in me since I was super young and I've I've always had a love for sports. So I just the, the black and gold is a part of me now, and I consider Pittsburgh my second home. Uh, you, you, coach in, you coach in suburban Columbus. Um, kind of how did your, how does your coaching background kind of help you in analyzing the game for what you're doing here at DK Sports? Well, I think the biggest thing is that a lot of the time it's it's easy to come across some of these stats or, or metrics and just use them as blanket statements. But because I have this coaching background, it's a lot easier to kind of see how those metrics come about. And it, it's not to just deal with them in absolutes, but, you know, you're able to to understand why things might be happening. And I, I think just having a different perspective of, of being down between the benches and kind of knowing those little nuances uh, that are going on with your players and, and your schemes and just everything that's going on with the rink. Um, it's, it adds some much needed context to, to forming the bigger picture. How did you get into that? I'm always interested. We, we we've had, we've had Allison Lucan on, we've had Dom LeCision on from the athletic. Uh, and I'm it, it always, I'm always intrigued how, someone kind of gets into this, how a hockey fan kind of gets into the analytical side of it. How, how did it work with you? So it, it was around the time the Penguins were going back to back when I really started to get a little deeper into into doing hockey analysis. But the, the biggest thing that stuck out to me was that, you know, we would hear people all the time reference specific players as being, you know, great defensive players, even though we didn't have specific metrics or statistics that showed you that was the case and you know as as great as you know takeaways or blocks might be you still don't necessarily see how that's impacting the quality of chances that are going against you so it it was just really more so that I wanted to to be smarter about the game and I wanted to know more about the game. And in turn, I found that I actually just love going through data and, and kind of connecting those dots. So um, but I, I think it is really funny because I am absolutely <laughs> terrible at math. And everybody is always like, oh, like you're the analytics guy. You're the math guy. And I'm like, trust me, I am not the math guy. But uh, it, it's kind of funny that uh, that I became the analytics guy after that. Dave, go ahead. Uh, Danny, how did you get into writing? And when you're writing more technically oriented things like analytics stories, is there a particular challenge to it knowing that <clears throat> some of your readers might not completely understand the, you know, the concepts that you're trying to get across? 
Yeah, so I, I initially started writing back when I was in the sixth or seventh grade. It was uh, just a random Saturday, and I was watching a, a Pirates-Brewers game. And afterward, I was like, I've got a bunch of thoughts that I just need to get off my chest. So I, I went ahead and started my own little Blogspot blog. And uh, from there, I started writing about the, the Pirates and Penguins. Um, never really got into writing about the Steelers too much. Um, but, you know, I did that pretty frequently for a couple of years until I got into high school. And, uh, you know, I wrote for my high school's newspaper as well as wrote some stories for our yearbook. Um, and then I went off into college and, and studied journalism and sports management for a few years. And then, uh, you know, after that, I had, as I kind of went into adulthood, I, I had kind of lost my passion for writing. Um, but a couple of seasons ago, uh, at the beginning of the year, I was like, you know, I, I've got some thoughts I need to get off my chest again. And I, I put together a, a piece on Patrick Hornquist and I got a lot of good feedback on it. And ever since then, I've I've been writing again. And, you know, I honestly, the reason I keep doing it is just because I see so many people that are telling me that they're learning from it and they're they're taking value from it. Otherwise, you know, I, I can sit here and, and talk to myself or bug my girlfriend with all my thoughts um, you posted a piece on Thursday on, on Marcus Pedersen. If there are some people listening who haven't had a chance to read it yet, could you give them kind of a, a rundown of the, the major points that you tried to make in that story? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Pedersen's kind of a, a divisive figure on the Penguins because, you know, he, he's not a very sexy player and, and his puck skills have never really developed it. Uh, the way that a lot of people thought he could have. But the reality is that there is not a, a defenseman on the Penguins that has a, a greater impact on insulating the slot in the front of the net. And as we all know, that's the most dangerous area of the ice in hockey. So, um, you know, he he does have a couple of shortcomings with him being a little bit um, underweight. He's only 177 pounds, even though he is six foot three. Um, but he's able to make up for that lack in, in size and physicality that he has with just being such a smart and cerebral hockey player. And, and none of the stuff he does is flashy or even looks good. And, and a lot of the stuff just goes unnoticed. But it all leads to, the, to part of the bigger picture of, you know, keeping the puck away from the dangerous areas of the ice. And now we'll give you a question that's probably one of the most popular among uh, Penguins followers. And also one of the most difficult to uh, try and answer. Do you think the Penguins will prove to be a playoff team this season? I do, and there's two reasons for that. The first being is that I, I'm not as high on the Metro division as a lot of people are. Um, I, you know, we know the Islanders are going to play a sound defensive game all throughout the year under Barry Trotz. Um, but as far as the rest of the division goes, I think there's a lot of question marks, uh, you know, for every team. Uh, you know, a couple of people have been talking about New Jersey and, and making some noise this year, but I'm not sold on their defensive core. Um, but as far as the Penguins are concerned, I, I definitely see them as a playoff team. And the biggest reason being is that this is the first year in a long time that they don't have any players on their roster, whether it be at forward or at defense, that are really sinking them when they're out there. And, you know, when you don't have guys like Jack Johnson or Mark Jankowski out there, getting them out of the lineup is almost as impactful as having a decent value guy, you know, further up your lineup. 
All right, we'll get you out of here on this, Danny. And and I, I'm again intrigued by the fact that you are a coach. So you obviously this is part of your job is your eyes are behind the bench, but but sometimes when you watch a game and then you go on uh, evolving wild or whatever whatever site that you're going to look at, are there times where what you watched and the numbers that you see different? And then how do you how do you work that out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I there's been plenty of times where I've watched a game and, and thought a player had an absolutely horrible game, and then I'll go, you know, onto natural stat trick, for instance, and I'll see that the the Penguins dominated in terms of trading chances uh, while that player was on the ice. And, you know, that that's not to say that that player had a great game, even though the Penguins controlled play while they were on the ice. But I think that's where analytics and, you know, going through film really play hand in hand with each other because you can go, okay, I see that the Penguins played well with this player on the ice. Now let's go back and see if he made any impact on on creating those chances or suppressing those chances. So, you know, it, it's not a an all or nothing thing with either of them, but I think I think combining the two it really goes a long way in forming that that solid picture and a and a complete picture so that you're not just making baseless claims. Oh, very good. Good stuff from Danny Shirey. I hope uh, uh, our, our Penguins fans, our readers get a chance to to read his first couple entries that he's had, the Drive the Net columns, and he will be contributing through us uh, throughout the season. So it's welcome aboard and good to have another guy in Columbus. Uh, and that's it for us this week uh, on the 66280 podcast for Danny Shari, for Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you next week.